0: Hello everyone, Carter here bringing you another episode of Out of the Hourglass presented by Nolan Consulting Group. Today's episode features a conversation with Brian Nolan and Steve Nefranowitz as they discuss the role of the CFO. Steve has been with Nolan Painting for nearly 30 years and serves as their chief financial officer. Some of today's topics include Steve's evolution as CFO, what his line of communication is like with the Nolan field team, Nolan Painting's pay for performance program, and how they're preparing for the uncertainty of the winter months. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to rate and subscribe. Enjoy the show.
1: Okay, thanks, Carter. Uh, boy, Steve, it's really good to be here. It's, it's an honor, uh, a pleasure um, to work with you here on interviewing the role of the CFO. So for those of you listening, Steve and I go back a long way. Uh, boy,
0: yeah, 16 17 years now right
1: yeah well that's that's sort of working together and then i knew you as a kid i felt like when you were uh an apprentice here at nolan painting but
0: um i don't think we ever worked together i I
1: worked with terrence
0: you did my younger brother brother. yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah, so i i I mean haven't you always been been cfo steve you, you seem like you were born to be a cfo and Maybe, maybe start by uh, telling us a little bit about your journey here yeah. here at Nolan Painting, and even maybe leading up to Nolan Painting, how you ended up here, and how you ended up being the numbers guy. Well, Brian,
0: I don't know if you want to hear the whole story, how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I did not grow up in this area. I grew up in Minnesota. Life brought me to California. I lived in California, Southern California, for about two or three years. And then uh, life brought me here to Philadelphia. And that was back in 1991. 92 is when um, I first met Kevin. In 92. Yeah. Wow. So I, so this is actually July of 1992 is when I started. So we go back 28
1: years if I'm right.
0: Yeah, it's like an anniversary. Holy mackerel. So, yeah, I started as a trainee, uh, actually painter. We didn't have a trainees then. We didn't mm. have apprentices then. We had, you
1: Just grabbed a brush and started swinging it.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to go to a competitor. Um, who's still around in business. But um, uh, Dennis McLaughlin grabbed me and said, you don't want to go there. And introduced huh. me to Kevin at a 4th of July event. And um, he said, that Monday I showed up at work and Cricket Avenue. You remember Cricket Avenue? Oh, do I ever. You lived there for a little while, uh-huh. too. So All I. of us did. Yeah. At <laughs> some point in our journeys. But that's how I got to Nolan Painting. And I started as a painter. I worked. I probably became a crew leader uh, two or three years into it. Okay, so now we're into 95, 96. 95, 96, and then I um, worked full-time as a crew leader. I ran a crew. Our crew's not, I mean, back then I had a crew of four, maybe five. Uh-huh. We'd run two or three different jobs at a time. Now crew leader is, probably still does that, but then we have a next level of the field manager who's running 30-some guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that. And then in 19, at one of the reviews, I think in 19, probably it was 1999, Kevin asked if I was interested in becoming one of the estimators. There's a couple mm. of us that he asked. I told him, yeah, I'm interested. And then in the summer of 2000, um, I got promoted to become an estimator.
1: Huh. You know, just a side note, how that sort of happens here is that each year, Kevin reads a vision for where uh, the company's gonna go the next year, two or three. And typically, he talks about the addition of a new role, and and you've been sort of, you're in the audience listening to that, saying like, there's an opportunity for me there. That's part of the client.
0: Yeah, and then it was the personal one-on-one that Kevin did that with people he thought would be a good good fit. Of course. John Myers, it was Kevin and John Meyer, they were the two estimators at the time. So he's looking to add a third. Mm. Um, so that was, uh, 2000, summer of 2000, I started, um, doing sales and estimating. And then I did that full time for like three and a half years. And then that brings us to around 2004.
1: That's when you and I really, uh, connected, uh, and when I, when I started Nolan Consulting Group and
0: you helped us start our business down in Maryland, hmm. um, yeah, that was back back then. I I remember I got a phone call. I was at one of my son's uh, Little League games. I think it might have been T-ball games. And Kevin was down the shore, and he called me up and said, I got an idea. Why don't we flip? Why don't you take more of the financial side of things, and I'll take more of your estimates?
1: That was an epiphany that started it all.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. You have to ask Kevin what—I can't remember if it was a book or what it was that sort of mm. got him, but he saw that— our roles were better reversed. He's the more natural salesperson. I was a more natural numbers guy or numbers or structure guy, I guess.
1: You know, and it was that same summer uh, of 2004 uh, that you and I were on the patio or the front porch of Cricket Avenue and we, we were talking about it and we were talking about what the pathway was in the financial world and, yeah. and uh, you grabbed it.
0: I think I, I may have been talking about how I was struggling from jumping between Estimating and doing the CFO part, or financial part. Mm-hmm. I might at that time I might not have even been had the title of CFO. No, you probably
1: didn't. Yeah,
0: um, but yeah, I found that a little bit of a struggle to try to bop between both worlds, and I was trying to learn my way of what you know what does a cfo actually do
1: and and so back then what size was nolan painting if we can go we back that? we would have been that?
0: around 4 million cuz yeah. i think we hit 3 million in 2003 and okay. then we went 4 million we kind of made that million dollar jump for about 3 years so that's when the
1: numbers start to get bigger than inside an owner's head and uh, you really need someone studying yeah uh, the, the forecast the you know cash flow and and such but did did you then jump to become a bookkeeper first, or did you just kind of jump right into no. the financial manager role? F-
0: financial manager. Interesting. Um, CFO role. We had uh, Bernadette, who was a longtime assistant for Kevin that goes back probably towards the be- when he first started the business. She was doing bookkeeping. Um, I didn't even do any of the invoicing, really, in QuickBooks. Uh, we had just started using QuickBooks around that time, and we were doing invoicing outside of QuickBooks. On word documents. Mm. That's when we had our business manager, Tom. At the time, he was he was doing um, invoices. So that was I a long Tom. time ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of even estimate es, estimating at that time. We did not have Act or um, Google Calendar. It mm. was a it was a book, a paper appointment book that we would make photocopies of, and we each take a photocopy of the appointments for the day and go wow. out on the road.
1: Quite a long way you've come. No uh,
0: GPS either,
1: right? What? Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about um, the these differences in roles in the financial world. You know the the role of the bookkeeper, accounting manager, finance manager, controller, and CFO. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, people get mixed up between the two, and just how, how different is the role of the bookkeeper from a CFO?
0: Well, I mean CFO, I think has to take a a larger look at the operation of the business they're looking more strategically trying you know working with the owner on the vision of the owner and trying to get the business to run towards that vision of the owner Mm. where a bookkeeper is working more in the daily aspects of um, entering bills into quickbooks
1: transactional really transactional yeah yeah
0: Um, and then even some of those other titles that you said they seem to there are aspects of what a CFO would oversee.
1: But the CFO is really going to be the the CEO's right-hand person with respect to um, expansion, with respect to long-range forecasting, uh, cash flow, uh, purchasing of large equipment, uh, really in in the the decision-making
0: Decision-making. Even some of the bigger decision-making purchases, there's obviously materials, and that's a really big piece of what, what what our business is the purchases are but uh, even um, business insurance health insurance you know we've making the move from that that was one of my first involvements was with business insurance and being involved mm-hmm. in the renewal I learned I learned a lot um, about insurance and the renewal it used to be the Tom used to tell me oh they don't come and give you an, give you your quote until the day before your insurance is set to expire. And I learned that it doesn't have to be that way. you just need to tell them, I want my numbers a month before our renewal and so we can make a decision. And they'll do what you ask. (laughs) Wow.
1: Well, you know, I work with a lot of bookkeepers and CFOs and uh, for those people listening, the the differences uh, are very vast in terms of the skill sets. And I would say most bookkeepers, um, can't make the leap and maybe even don't want to make the leap from bookkeeping, journaling the entries, etc., to yeah. the management of the of the numbers and even to to the extent that some bookkeepers don't take a, a look back at, before they send the report and say is there anything out of whack here? So there is a big yeah. difference. So you've worked with bookkeepers here?
0: Yeah, I've worked um, you know, I mentioned Bernadette and then since Bernadette there's been one, two, three I think we're on a fourth or fifth since Bernadette and I've seen the, the range. Um, you know, sometimes I've made the mistake of trusting a bookkeeper too much with more than just bookkeeping. Mm. This is when we were smaller before we had an HR department and bookkeeping seemed to naturally also take on the HR role. And, um, uh, the I nine, we've had some I nine issues in the past. Um, just because the bookkeeper didn't record things properly and, again, didn't think there was any issue, didn't really look at them closely. But then when we looked at them closely, we realized she was making some assumptions and just basic mistakes that, you know, really should have been caught.
1: So, so let's be clear. The CFO, right, they have to have a report to analyze. If they get too into the data entry, they will not have the ability to pull back and look at the big picture right? and see right. where things might be off.
0: So I, I look at um I mean I can easily pull the reports that I need from from QuickBooks yeah you memorize the reports just a couple of clicks of the buttons and you can see I can see all the reports that I really need to see without the bookkeeper having to actually go out and produce things sure
1: sure so you you did sales and and now you're a CFO uh, those profiles in Disc are about as different as any profiles should and can be so what is your your disc profile
0: Uh, um, off the charts C and S yes Um, and then the lower I and I and D yeah yeah
1: Yeah. so you are an SC but you were willing you were able to sell in fact you probably sold a million dollars several years
0: yeah I sold like one point million uh, for a couple of years, which is probably equivalent to five million now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bet it's probably maybe close, might be closer to two million. Yeah, because I remember our first sales rate was like forty-five dollars an hour. Sure. And now we're, you know, eighty plus dollars an hour. Yeah,
1: and so it's that level of detail that you wanted to do a good job, so you worked really hard at following up, probably. In, exactly. In I had but systems. You didn't feel in, great about the work you were doing. Right.
0: I had systems in place. That I would, you know, I put down a, an appointment to make a phone call, follow-up phone call, and I went to sales training, and I, I did all these things, and I followed the system, my high C. Um, that's what me, you know helped me become a, a a good a good estimator. But that wasn't my passion, or I would say necessarily my my talent.
1: Right. Right. For those of you who know Steve, he's good at most things he's done. He does whether it's golf or pool or anything like that so uh darts not surprising darts is <laughs> as well what's, what's what's the hardest part of your
0: job oh that's a that's a that's a, that's a good question i i kind of struggled with this one early on and it's really probably bringing bad bad news to the forefront yeah nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news and i wasn't sure what to do but i i remember this was going into the great recession so this was Maybe it was probably 2000. I look back; it was 2008, and it was, you know, seasonable business. um, Always down in the first quarter, but we were only, you know, a four, five million dollar company, and we were down like almost three hundred thousand dollars in at the end of the first quarter. And um, I remember telling my wife this. She goes, "Did you tell Kevin?" I go, "Does he know?" So I knew I had to just come out and say it. And, I, you know, I told Kevin, shared the business. And, you know, you kind of take it personally, you think, oh, is this my fault? But you realize it's, it's not a personal thing. And I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't cause a problem. Just the way our operations were running and the way things went. So together, we all came up with a plan to dig out of this hole mm. And that's what Kevin's really good at doing is rallying the troops and saying, hey, we're going to get out of this. Here's, you know, here's what I think we should do.
1: Yeah. So, you know, two two points that I'll pull out of that is, number one, you see things before other people see things. Yes. And then um, then number two, the, the difference between an okay CFO and a great one is your ability to communicate it. Yeah. How do you communicate the bad news? And it sort of sits like a pit in your stomach.
0: It it does, yeah. um, and I've I've learned working with Kevin. So Kevin's disc is, I'm sure that pretty much opposite of mine. Pretty much. He's pretty high all across the board. I think. Well,
1: uh, no, he, he just raises his C when he needs to. But he's Need a to. he's a D I, and then he oh, raises yeah. the other ones up.
0: So one of the things, so my natural style to communicate would be to tell you all the background first, and then tell you the, the answer, the result. Kevin's is the opposite he wants to hear the result and then he'll listen to yeah. all the background don't don't tell me how we got what's what's the deal here yeah. what's the result yeah oh. okay so that that's what I've learned to communicate with Kevin is really to go and say here's here's what's mm-hmm. going on and then give some of the background mm-hmm. um, he really wants to hear that background and he'll 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 listen to it um, let it soak in and then usually come up with some Good plan to like get us out of a jam, or, or we'll have d- good discussions with amongst ourselves or with other people on, on what we need to do to. So, do you have any
1: stories that you you'd like to share uh, um, working with your uh, CEO here, Kevin, in terms of uh, how you two began this sort of more effective working relationship, um, and some of the good and bad times?
0: Well, I I guess I mean the recession really sort of put things together, um, our relationship, but we've always had a good relationship since the beginning. I remember being on a job site, telling him I I didn't want to paint for the rest of my life. I wanted to, I'd rather be like a project manager. I'm going to go to school for this. I was telling him what I wanted to do. And right away, he gave me opportunities to come into the office to help. Mm. Um, but in, um, during the recession, you know, we had to make some really tough decisions and, He'd give me a call, and we had we let go about thirty or forty of our field, which was probably close to half, if not well, it was probably more than more than half of our field. This was fourth quarter of 2008, and then we also let go um, of our whole admin staff. Hmm. So the admin staff was answering the phones, scheduling appointments, writing estimates. Um, I had, I made the suggestion of cutting our 401k. Match at the time we were doing, and I, you know, I remember him calling me up, saying, "Are you sure we're doing the right thing?" Mm. He said, "I've never had nobody answer the phone." Mm. I said, "Yeah, we have to, you know," and so it's that's that our relationship has been really good good that way. We don't have um, big disagreements on things. He's always been um, willing to listen to what. What what I have to say, my suggestions and stuff, and, and then, then he makes
1: a decision, filtering. Yeah. yeah. You know your input.
0: Yeah, and then sometimes it comes back. Um, you know, I've thrown ideas out there and said this, you know, about changing something and what we should do, and then, um, you know, down the road, it comes back and we make those changes. So right. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: um, just to point back in oh8, 09 when all those uh, reductions had to happen there was a decision that had to be made who to cut and uh, what Kevin ended up doing is he kept all his high-paid senior people the management team which uh, helped him rebuild the company that yeah. was that was one of the probably most effective decisions and at the time it, it didn't look that that smart because it was so much money that he was leaving on a
0: table well we all took a reduction 15 percent pay cut so he had a you know here's the bad news you're all getting a 15 percent pay cut but then we instilled basically the beginnings of our pay for performance system here's how you can earn your 15 percent back in the end none of us took a pay cut because we were able to earn that 15 percent back with performance
1: Wow you know um, I've watched you over the years um, more and more work effectively with the field staff and that's hard because the CFO doesn't always communicate on an ongoing basis. How how do you communicate with the field leaders to get them to understand the numbers so they can then impact them on a on a daily basis?
0: That's a good question, Brian. Um, the giant whiteboard downstairs. Um, so in our office, we have a painted one wall, 30 by 30 feet long by 8 feet high, in whiteboard paint, and we have all of our KPIs on there. KPIs and they're all broken down by team. So each team can see that. And right across from where this whiteboard is, is a, a long bench style um, desk for our field managers to sit and do their paperwork or whatever they need to do, planning for, for the day, for the week. And they, it's right in front of them. So it's been easy for me to come over there in the afternoon when they're sitting there doing their thing and talk to them about their numbers. I like that. Um, Each team, not only is there that whiteboard, but in Smartsheet, each team has a scoreboard that corresponds to the KPIs that are on the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. And so I would talk to them about that, ask them what their thoughts were. Um, We'd have discussions about uh, you know, feet on the street, the impact of apprentices on them. You know, last year we 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 had a lot of um, apprentices into our into our model. So that's our our model. Not necessarily hire painters, but hire good people with work experience that we can train to be painters. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, can you um, back up and and
1: speak to the four or five KPIs that? Are most frequently tracked and talked about uh, with the field that are on that whiteboard. Yeah, well, revenue. So that that's revenue by crew leader. It's actually yeah, drilled by, down by what company, the expectation yeah, is
0: by company, by the company goal and the teams. Each of the field managers. It doesn't go down to crew leaders. It goes down to teams. So and the,
1: teams are run by the field, field managers. managers. And, yeah. and we have how
0: many field managers? We have four field managers with a fifth coming online. And each Next each field manager does how much revenue per year? Oh uh, the top ones are gonna do three to four million. Last year they did over three million. So you'll take the
1: the budget, which might be around twelve million, and you'll divide that into these four to five segments of a field manager. Yeah,
0: based on what each field manager is capable of handling in terms of feet on the street employees. So it cascades down to cookbook. Yeah. It's cookbook, yeah. So th- so there's revenue. There's sales, so each estimator has a monthly sales goal, and the team has a mm-hmm. as a monthly sales goal. We also have um, productivity, sales rate, um, how many estimates we're scheduling, and we're measuring customer service. All those things are part of our pay P- 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 for performance system. Mm-hmm. So there's points that each person, all the way down to a painter, can earn based on hitting results in each of those categories.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That's been key. And you've, you've had to really help them understand those numbers. Because until they understand them, um, they can't affect change. And uh, how do I get my PFP? What do I need to do? Uh, so you become almost a coach. I've, I've seen you and Connell uh, work together yeah. uh, some years ago. Um, maybe on a Friday afternoon over a couple of beers, I remember you going through the numbers here, here's how you get your PFP, Connell, and you would sort of help him through some things.
0: Yeah, he wanted, Connell wanted to, this is a few years ago, he wanted to really learn more about the numbers, um, one for our business and one as being a a summit coach. Um, and so he would come into my office, we'd sit next to each other (laughs) pre-COVID and, um, and we would just go over the numbers. We'd yeah. go over feet on the street, we'd go over, I'd show him stuff in QuickBooks, whatever questions he, he had, we, the, we would do it. This is,
1: this is sort of the the uh, difference in results. When you can cascade down uh, knowledge on the numbers, as opposed to most people would say, I don't do numbers, I don't, I don't like math, I don't do spreadsheets, um, but your job as CFO is to Sort of help them understand what numbers they need to pay attention to. When when you do that, yeah, good things happen.
0: And it's I think it's important that each each piece of the opera of your company um, have the right key KPIs mm-hmm. to follow or pay pay for performance goals. That's specific to them, meaning um, estimators are measured on how much they sell and what's the rate they sell it at? Like, are they, are they estimating correctly? We, we want a, a certain rate per month. And if they hit that rate per month, then we know that um, if the job is run right, so on the operation sides, we measure productivity, meaning that did, they, did the team bring it in on budget in terms of hours? And then how much of that did you do? So if the productivity is good and the sales rate is good, in the end gross profit's going to be good we i mean that's one of the, that's the first time i mentioned gross profit i mean we we don't pay it's a kpi i watch it every month um, but it's not a pay for performance
1: interesting because it's made up of a lot of different parts but productivity is budgeted hours divided by actual hours Correct. on the jobs they get and yep. so once we hone in on that that's going to affect gp yes yeah
0: yeah so, So if it's coming in on if the jobs are coming in on time and they're priced and estimated correctly, then, you know, more than likely our gross profit is going to be where we want it to be.
1: Okay, so let's fast forward. Uh, Here we are in the summer of 2020, uh, COVID, um, and uh, business is great right now. Home improvement market, you're booked out how many months, Steve? What does it look Uh, like?
0: uh, I mean, we're scheduling it's mid it's uh, mid July right now. I mean, our first interiors aren't until the end of August, beginning of September. And, interiors. Yeah. Exteriors. Yeah, same as uh, September.
1: Right. So it, it seems almost like surreal. Like, how can this be, be happening? Well, because people are spending their discretionary money on their home because yeah. they're not traveling, right? They're not yeah. going to games. Um, but there could be a sense of something looming, right? Yeah. It could be a sense. So, so how, how are you preparing now, again, you see things before other people see things. Yeah. How are you preparing for uh, what could be a COVID winter?
0: Yeah. Well, um, so it's, it's a, right at the moment, it's a little bit of a wait and see game. Um, but we are taught, we just had our first in-person marketing meeting. We have marketing huddles every week, but it's the first time that uh, April came in. First time she's been back in the building since March. Wow. And we had an in-person, and we reviewed uh, um, the return on investment of some of our larger marketing spends, specifically radio and television. Hmm. And overall, like we wanted to see like what's effective. So right now, we're trying to analyze what marketing is effective, where are we getting the most return for our dollar. Television and radio can be kind of hard. Um I meet people every day, say that I heard you saw you on channel six, which is a local news station here. Um, seen you on heard you on KYW, another local news radio. Um, but they don't necessarily call up, so it's kind of a bit of a branding, it's awareness. So now so so we, we're looking at that, trying to see what's most effective. And then as we get towards September. We're going to have to start making decisions on where are we going to spend marketing dollars.
1: So so the thing that I, I've always applauded in Nolan Painting is the reserves. And uh, so you you never know when you're going to hit a wall. Or I, I kind of um, compare it to an airplane traveling in the sky super fast and it's cloudy and there's mountains out there and we don't have all the, all the radar to see where they all are. Um, how, how do you protect... Yourself. How, how do you protect the business if there's a bad downturn? Talk to us about the reserve strategy that a CFO should should follow.
0: Well, um, there's a good book out there that uh, Kevin and I just read called Profit First, mm. um, and it talks about paying your paying profit, making profit the priority. You do profit, and then you run the rest your business. What's left over? So you do that first, rather than wait to see if there's profit. Mm. If you wait and see... There's There's a novel idea. probably nothing. (laughs) But... um, So we've been doing some form of that for many, many years. We've had... I've had different buckets, different accounts. I've had... I have... um, You know, there's our operating account where we're paying our bills. Um, I have a holding account where every week I'm putting something towards that. And um, at the moment, it's $1,000 a week. goes towards the holding account. And the holding account is... um, at the end of the month, that there's a larger bills to pay, I I can pull money from that holding account. There's a reserve account where we're much more disciplined. A larger amount of money is going to that on a weekly basis. Typically, it's been about five thousand dollars. And um, that, how big is that account
1: relative to the revenue, uh, relative to the overhead?
0: Well, so so we're bringing in about. 150 or well, $200,000 in revenue a, a week and I'm putting 5,000 a week t- a week towards okay. that okay. Um, But there's another there's our line of credit strategy So the line of credit credit strategy is to use the line during the seasonality of our business and then start paying that back In May when we go outside and have it paid off by October 1st. So there's an
1: important thing here use your line of credit before you you use reserves yeah, really important for, for people listening, uh, because no one can take away your reserves, but people can, a bank can uh, short your line of credit and yeah. call it. And, and when you, you run out of money, it's like the grease, it's like the oil in, in a car, it burns up.
0: Yeah, so so we've done other things. We have equity accounts, um, we call them. We call them equity account. This is more of an investment count. Um, those other counts I talked about are all within our bank I can transfer them back and forth real easy between accounts, so it does get tempting to say, "Hey, I got some money in my reserves. I just pull that over." And I've done that. I've borrowed from the reserve because I know it's just a matter. You know, it's payroll today. There's there's a bunch of collections that came in on Friday, but they're not going to hit the bank until Monday. So I make the transfer and then short-term lending from yourself. Yeah, and then I schedule the transfer back. Oh, nice. All at the same time, so. Um, I, I do having
1: that. that liquid available
0: is is key and helps you sleep at night. Probably it does. But in the, in profit first, it says don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Your reserve account, which um, which I'll probably I'll call our equity account, is not linked to our bank account. I can't I can't easily transfer money from that. I have to make a phone call or or email to our a financial advisor and say we need to bring money over and that's something that I can't just do myself Kevin has to be involved in that but we do have money going into the equity account every every week on a regular basis and it's I have it automatically every Monday it, it goes it goes gets transferred every Friday but on QuickBooks it shows up on Monday so I can when I'm looking at my balances on QuickBooks that money's already out of there
1: yeah, so I'm going to uh, um, help the audience distinguish between the reserve account and and the equity account. So the equity account is for uh, the management team, right? That's yeah. for, that's a that's some long term incentive programs that are super healthy uh, for the payback for to keep great people. Yeah. The reserve account is for um, a really really stormy day.
0: Yeah. So I mean, but I I think. So we really don't touch those equity accounts but you if you really want to start saving money if your business wants to start saving money you need to put that money off to the side a way where you can't touch it treat and, it like a
1: bill too it, and it, do it, it it's re, a bill
0: set it up have it go regular uh, don't go too big at first because you don't want to um, you don't want to reach back in there and pull it out we started our equity um, transfers at thousand dollars a week which was work, worked for us. It was a thousand dollars for our size business. We didn't we didn't see that. You know, it didn't didn't hurt. And now it's up to fifty seven hundred dollars a week um, on top of those other things that we're doing. So wow. I, in the end, it, it, I Monday I start out at zero every day. Every Monday it's, we're zero. <laughs> uh-huh. You know that's what i'm seeing that's the
1: mindset that's the Six, mindset so that you can always operate profitably so you so you never have to draw from exactly. those accounts exactly so let's uh, let's end with this um tell us about the 2020 planning season when and your role as cfo in the plan as you plan for 2021 Um, When does that planning start and what's the process and what's your particular role as CFO?
0: Well, our planning typically starts in October, so fourth quarter. My role is to help um, organize the meetings and the plan and the structure of each of the meetings that we're going to have. So I'll work with Kevin and we'll come up with a a schedule. And it's typically um, on our Tuesday afternoon meetings. We'll combine it with that. And then we'll break it down to you know operations, human resource, sales, admin, um, whatever, and maybe we've had carpentry involved too, whatever are highlights of the plan that we really want to work on. This gives us the opportunity to bring outside people into the planning process. So my role is to help keep that structure in place. I, I take I take notes, I put things together, um, that's that's and that's my when, rule. That's what we do for the last year. And then you produce the years. first
1: budget, the the first draft.
0: Yeah, I usually start with um, the first revenue revenue budget is where it starts. So you know what are what are the teams that are going to look? So I work with um, Colin and Connell. You know what do you think the teams will look like next year? What size do you think they'll be? And I'll come up with revenue numbers for that. From that, it also then creates. Uh, a budget for feet on the street um, for how many painters we're going to need. Um, once we get buy-in from that, then you go to sales and tell them that they have to sell more than that. <laughs> and then you have an argument with and sales. And it uh, goes back and forth, <laughs> yeah. And they get all steamy. How do you expect me to sell more? I always want more. Where <laughs> operations will say, okay, you want $5 million more? No problem. I'll do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So. Good.
0: Yeah, so my my that's my role, and it is help keep the structure, of the organization, and keep the ball
1: moving. Great, you know, Steve, it, it has been uh, a pleasure to watch you grow uh, over over the years, from apprentice to crew leader to salesperson to a financial manager, who is now able to to have Nolan painting double in in size. I look forward to conversation several years down the road. You know, Kevin is gonna take on a different role in four and a half years or so. So I think there'll be another chapter that we'll be able to revisit uh, as we hit those, those times. Well, thanks,
0: Brian. I've been fortunate um, in my career here at Nolan Painting to have good uh, coaches, mentors, and friends like you, Brian and Kevin and and others um, to help me in my career here. It's been a, it's been a pleasure.
1: Good. Thank you. And uh, good luck dealing with the rest of the summer and, uh, Wait and see what what the fall brings. Thanks,
0: Steve. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business consulting firm located outside Philadelphia. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.